Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. <laughs> Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm Associate Distance Michael Hamflit. And I am a rudderless burning large garbage barge. <laughs> but I'm also Adam Nicholas. Uh, and you can call this podcast the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with, allegedly. And if you want to follow this podcast, you can indeed do just that on social media. You can follow us at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram. You can also follow either of your hosts if you'd like to. You can follow myself at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. Um, you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts where we'd love to follow or subscribe on Spotify where you can follow there as well. On Acast where you can subscribe or you can stream through the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. Every Friday the podcast goes up there. You can find that link very nicely embedded where you can listen to it through there. You can subscribe, whatever. And for season five and for the last time, we are asking for you to quote tweet that tweet. If you uh, send that out to your followers with the link to the podcast in, um, with a, just a message to let them know that this is Podcast Horseman. It's your favourite podcast on Bojack Horseman. And they too might want to hear people talking themselves horse about a talking horse. That would be lovely. Uh, you get a star and a Hollywood talk of fame. Going back to season six, which we'll be doing in two weeks' time, we'll be back to five-star reviews. Leave us a five-star review. You can get a star that way instead. Um, we've got our last season six one coming at the end of this episode. Uh, it's a recap next week, which we'll touch a little bit on later on, and then it'll be back to the five-star review. So leave them to try and get in time for season six before Bojack Horseman, the podcast horseman, ends forever. You've not got to <gasps> get him in. Get him in. How dare you even mention <laughs> this. Disgraceful. But yes, all good things do truly come to an end, Michael. And as Todd once said, sometimes parties are just over, man. That's it. Sometimes <laughs> parties are just over. However, this party is far from over. We go on Netflix for this week's synopsis. It is season five, episode twelve, the stopped show. You see what they did there? Look, it was a show ah, stopper last good. week, and now it's the stopped show. It's absolutely prime prestige <laughs> level television. This writing, isn't it? Yes, the stopped show, season five, episode twelve, and the synopsis is as follows: In the midst of the latest PR crisis, Princess Carolyn gets a life-changing opportunity with Diane's help. Bojack finally faces the music. And I have a feeling that does not mean back in the 90s. I think it means <laughs> his life in general, Michael. 
Indeed, and the consequences of his actions, typical for Bojack, are not being felt first by him, but by others, as the episode starts not with Bojack, but with uh, Todd, Princess Carolyn, and Flip McVicker at the What Time Is It Right Now offices. Todd is shocked and enraged that production of Philbert has come to a stop, has been shut down for some reason. Princess Carolyn and Flip are minimising what Bojack did to Gina, and they're referring to it as, quote, minimum strangling uh, for this uh, strangulation sabbatical that the whole cast and crew have had to go on. But they note... Um, that some crew members filmed it on their phones so it could leak to the press, which obviously won't be a good look for what time is it right now. Todd has had enough and he pulls the plug, but Princess Carolyn asks Todd for one last chance to get everything under control. It's at this point that Henry Fondle bursts into the room saying, yes, yes, yes. And unfortunately, that's Todd having his hand forced. He's got to give Princess Carolyn this one last chance to get the show back on the road. It's a relatively quick cold open there to sort of get us back to where we were last week. So we'll, we'll carry on for a little bit because we're now with Bojack. He's in his living room. There's a sharp piercing noise the the, um, the lens is sort of slightly shaking on him and it's, you can't quite tell it's a little bit of a callback to last week where you can't quite tell if it's Bojack or Filbert because of course he's in his apartment he's in the Filbert attire um, but he snapped out of that moment and that, I guess it's solitude by his phone ringing again it's not the familiar phone ringtone that we used to from Bojack so it's still like leaves you hanging just a little bit as to who it like which one of these it might be Bojack or Filbert but it's Bojack because it's Princess Carolyn on the other end of the line She's on her way and she tells him not to do or say anything to anybody, nor watch anything on television or online anywhere. Um, Bojack seems confused with that request, but notably doesn't seem to know anything about what's going on or why. Um, Princess Carolyn, uh, in the meantime, calls her crap assistant Stuart about setting up an interview for Bojack with a Biscuits Braxby, a television host, um, a television interviewer, interviewer. But that call gets broken up in the meantime by Sadie, of course, the, uh, the character we met in Eden, who was having the baby that briefly had considered Princess Carolyn to adopt her baby. Um, she's ringing PC to say that she's in labour and now she does want Princess Carolyn to go ahead with the adoption. Uh, she's fallen out with the father of the baby with the rest of the family. And she recalled really quite sweetly that when she'd rejected other potential suitors, they'd been quite cold with her. Princess Carolyn was the only one that seemed to care, even though Sadie'd reject her. And that, that stuck with her. Um, Princess Carolyn's politely trying to juggle everything, as she always does. But Sadie, I guess, seems to have those alarm bells ringing from the last time they were together and says, quote, if this baby's out and you're not here, I'm putting it into a dumpster. Just kidding, but I'll give it to somebody else. So Princess Carolyn's kind of got, I guess, like the dual motivations at this point to fix things for the show, but has something maybe far greater waiting, just a little bit east of Eden. Um, we'll go quickly to Mr. Peanut Butter, because then we're kind of set up on all the strands of this episode, um, because the characters do sort of intersect a little bit in this finale. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter shows up at Diane's apartment and asks how to deal with the guilt of them having sex. Diane tells Peanut Butter to tell Pickles the truth, um, and he asks if he'll if she'll just do it for him, because it's not the kind of position he tends to find himself in upsetting people. Diane obviously won't do that. She feels as horrendous as he does, Arguably, if not worse, she says, quote, I feel all the time like a garbage fire. Clearly not just related to the actions with Mr. Peanut, but just a sense of an existential crisis and existential sadness that she's been suffering through for quite a long time now. Um, Mr. Peanut, in contrast, notes this is the first time he's ever felt like this, ever. <laughs> he doesn't know what to deal with, with any of this. Um, they scream at each other at both feeling bad. It kinda, the conversation escalates into something much more resembling a row. But of course, it leads to them having sex again. Um, there are three kind of jumping off points for all the main characters. It's all going to kind of intersect, as I say, 
but we've got a nice a nice sort of set of threads for a finale to wrap a few things up about. Absolutely, we do. Um, and I guess the first thing I'll say is, at least Mr. Peanut Butter and Die are a consistent, yeah, Michael. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we've we've seen the character traits when they get angry. Frack me, Mr. Peanut Butter, frack me. <laughs> and it seems like they've continued that pattern. That is a sign of consistency in my book, um, despite the fact that it's crushing other people's lives on the slide. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of crushing other people's lives on the slide, of course, Princess Carolyn, of course this happens. Of course, of course, that stupid goddamn horse. <laughs> like, <laughs> just when things have calmed down in her life, in terms of like um, the adoption side of things, obviously she's had a lot going on with Philba. And right in the middle of the biggest moment that's happened on this whole show, this disastrous moment, she gets the call because life has a way, doesn't it? Yeah. Of course it does. And you just, God, it makes you feel so frustrated for her because you know how free she's probably been <laughs> prior, to this, prior to all of this. And now, of course, the call has come. Will she answer the call, Michael? Not the actual call, the you know call to arms, who knows? And then Bojack, of course, really, really... Um, like jarring how much he doesn't know, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you think about how brutal the end of the last episode was and to see how much it hasn't really even touched the surface with him yet. And yeah. again, the effect of living in the numbness and being comfortably known from all those, um, the pills, etc. Mm-hmm. that he's been doing. Yeah, I'd kind of, I'd guess I'd forgotten. I remember like my first watch of this, my experience was from one episode to the next I'd forgotten that how they left it with Bojack was very much him in like a state of shock. So you go into this episode expecting him to be, as usual, like lamenting yet another awful episode in his life. But instead, it's as if it's maybe never happened. He's a walking stupor. He's almost like comatose, but with his eyes open and he's walking about. And it's again, it pulls you right back to the everybody couldn't believe what they were seeing as Bojack was strangling Genia other than Bojack himself who wasn't even present in the moment. So why would yeah. he be present in it now? And we get, it's just a sort of weird cognitive dissonance that's happened with him where he's just like, it's been such a moment, this him, like you think about how much of a like heightened state he was in. I mean, poor Gina, obviously not to sort of downplay the fact she was nearly murdered by a horse mm. in the last episode. But like, he was so like shocked and he was panting and he was like, so wired, and obviously we see him at the end of that episode stuck staring at himself, his inflated self, deep in mm-hmm. the realms and the recesses of his mind. Um, like I say, it was just really, you go in, don't you, thinking, oh my God, where are we going to be at the start of this episode? And it's almost like nothing happened, which is quite true to life sometimes, actually, in moments like this. It's, I think, an intentional commentary, actually, not least when, obviously, we see that he's about to come face-to-face with his actions, which mm-hmm. are from you know, however long ago, days ago, maybe. Um, and he's got to kind of through what well, we've got to relive it all over again through him living it for the I first think, time almost. I, th- I think it's literally that I'm sure I, I might be wrong. I'm sure Carolyn says it was last night. She says to him, okay. What do you remember about last night? And that means yes. it's even worse because it was just last night. Oh, yeah, it wasn't like it had been a few days for this, but uh, yeah, interesting stuff yeah. and very jarring to say the least. You are correct there because we are back to Bojack's after the Diane and Pin Butter interaction. Um, where Princess Carolyn is asking of Bojack's recollections, and as you correctly point out, he's kind of got none. There's like nothing. There's nothing particularly relevant. There's nothing sort of um, like that he sees as being a uh, any different to any day. If anything, he expresses concern for Gina when he hears that she's hurt, 
without realising that it was very literally at his hands. Um, the Biscuits Braxby interview will solve all of this as Princess Carolyn pitches to Bojack and he seems to agree, he seems very affable to the idea, which immediately lets you into this idea that, like it's going to be a softball interview, it's going to be that like celebrity, easy questions, nice fluffy daytime thing which he seems completely on board with, which is again strange because we're so used to seeing this combative relationship between Bojack and Princess Carolyn. She wants him to do something and he is immediately trying to find reasons not to, or he's protesting the idea of it or not seeing the point or anything like that. Yet he just goes along with it. He's kind of like remarkably fine with everything. Um, to the point when when Princess Carolyn apologises for not taking enough care of him and believing that she's the one responsible for him getting addicted to pills in the first place because of not being there when he fell and hurt his back. He kind of like takes some of the responsibility back and he won't let her take responsibility again. Very rare for Bojack in the middle of a conversation to want to lift some responsibility off PC's shoulders. Mm. Um, she has enough on a plate as it is, but it's like she points out, and I, I couldn't agree with her more when she says, quote, once I get a baby, my life will be a lot less hectic, you know? Um, that's the first point. Immediately think of you when she said this. <laughs> that's I the first idea. point that Bojack snaps back and actually mocks her and makes a joke about, yeah, because that's all you ever see is parents that are completely frazzled or whatever it is. Um, that's too stupid sounding, even for him in this strange medicated state. Otherwise, though, fairly smooth. Fairly straightforward. Princess Carolyn was expecting to have this mountain to climb and she's basically just jogged up a hill. And it's all looking pretty good. Um, we cut back to Diane's apartment and her and Mr. Peanut Butter. I've just had sex again. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter assumes this means they're getting back together, though. This was more than just one more thing. Um, Diane stresses rather awkwardly that that's not the case and they absolutely cannot do this again. Um, before she can talk through all the rational reasons why this can't happen, Mr. Peanut Butter reveals that he's still loves her. Um, Diane almost doesn't want this revelation, if you can call it that, to really breathe. She doesn't want this feeling to exist in the ether. So she, like, quite sympathetically but firmly offers him a no in response. It's still very much over and he has to go and he has to take care of whatever situation he deems he has with Pickles. Mm. That's on him to try and deal with while Diane deals with, what did she call herself? Feeling all the time like a garbage fire. Um we're back to Bojack's trailer where he has a sort of pre-interview chat with Biscuits Braxby, who we meet for the first time. Um, Biscuits talks him through the interview um, in a matter of seconds, as if she's done a million identical ones of these before. It's all, so I'll say blah, 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 and you'll say blah, 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 and then we'll get out of it. It's nothing to her, which again, Bojack, having not really been aware of what has even caused all this, is pretty much fine with. Um, he's in reasonably good spirits, so as he's fairly settled, he asks Princess Carolyn about the crew footage and he asks if he can actually see it himself. He wants a video of whatever it is he's actually done. Um, she tries to convince him otherwise, but he wants to see it. He wants to feel fully prepped for the interview. So she relents and we get that amazing score, as usual, that drops in whenever the world is falling apart around one of the characters on Bojack Horseman. And Bojack is just shocked to the core at what he sees, because, of course, he's watching what we were shocked to the core watching last week. Um, we'll have one more scene, because after that, we've got the Biscuits Braxby interview itself, which is with Diane and, uh, excuse me, with Gina and Bojack. So we'll go back to Diane, who obviously trying to put the Mr. Peanut Butter situation to one side, goes and meets Stefani, who uh, lets her know that Girl Crush are going to be pivoting to video. Um, 
content website, obviously, that Diana would normally do the hit pieces for, is now going to be a, a supremely popular YouTube channel. Can confirm a good idea. Um, she wants Diane to be the face of the channel. Um, the uh, Obviously, the, you know, Diane's podcast was super successful. Her articles are really well regarded. Stefani thinks she's going to be perfect for it. But Diane, living with this guilt and living with this, like remorse and self-hatred and just having a really low opinion of herself at the moment, doesn't believe she can hold up all the standards of such a role, the um, expectations of an audience that she believes that they would have. Um, Stefani says in response that Diane holds everybody, including herself, to impossible standards, and it's not really about that anyway. Diane tries to question that, but Stefani reminds her that, quote, we all fail and the least we can do is find ways to forgive each other and ourselves, which, you know, Although emotives may be poor, it's not the worst advice for Diane today. Um, she wonders aloud if they could apply that thought process to their content, <laughs> which, which only gets a condescending, oh, Diane, in response to Stefani. So, you know, had it, lost it for Stefani there in terms of being this great motivational speaker. But yes, again, like jumping all over the place because that's the kind of episode this was. Um, Diane's own crisis, not to undermine it, is like certainly scaled back compared to Bojack for the first time confronting what he's actually done to Gina. But I think it's nice that they've kept those two strands together. Like Bojack and Diane's, like Bojack said it to Diane as much as she resented it. Yeah, we're the same, you and I. Like it's always how we've, there's a certain connection. There's a certain click between these characters that nobody else in Hollywood seems to have dating back to the Halloween party and their very first meeting. And I just think it's nice that we see them dealing with these things very different as they are dealing with these things together like scene by scene mm. almost like a, like i'm thinking of that stroke song alone together do you know what i mean like that <laughs> they're dealing with it by themselves but they are kind of together in it in the sense yeah. that they're both having to go and front up to these things first off man like that's just a really jarring moment with them um, everything's been jarring this episode i guess um stefani just like <laughs> Genuinely, when she's sitting in in Sandro's place with them, um, with Diane, and they're having this conversation, she just gives her like, yes, okay, motives technically probably not where they need to be. Let's be honest, doesn't not sure she really cares about Diane all that much. She does care about the content though, and we can relate to that. So, <laughs> however, the advice she gives her is pretty good. Like I, I was sitting at, the, I'm always sitting at the table with her, going, God damn right, yeah, like. I want to bang my hands on the table, like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should, you know. And and actually, I felt like the way she describes, like, how almost Diane sets herself up for misery because she holds herself to such high and impossible standards that it there's like there's a mixed message in there. I realise because there's nothing wrong with living that way, but if it's getting to the point where it's making Diane miserable, then you have to question, like, at what point have you sacrificed the good of your own health? in this pursuit to try and save and correct everything and everybody else. Like, and there's definitely a message in there which really resonates, I think, with I, even though, again, we're very quickly reminded that Stefani's, like, not going to change her morals <laughs> when it comes to the content because that would be madness, of course. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, nice to see that and nice to see just, like, I guess, again, it's, it's hidden in a different motive, but it's women supporting women, isn't it? Like, hmm. I feel like we don't get enough of... Um, like the men supporting men in this show, we see a lot of women supporting women or women supporting men. There's not super often we get a, a men supporting men moment. It's usually like yeah. that's something like a rarity in this show. So again, the women maybe motives sort of questionable, but 
still better than the men, even mm. when the motors are questionable. Oh, always, 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 always. And then in terms of Bojack, I mean, being in that trailer and seeing the realization on his face after when the penny drops after his sort of little bubble of like almost childlike bubble of medication finally wears off, isn't it? It's like a child that bit when he's at his, at, on the balcony with um, with uh, Princess Carolyn and just kind of going, "You okay there, buddy? Like, do you remember what happened last night? What's going yeah. on?" It's very like. Just like a couple of words, the answers are very childlike until eventually he snaps out of it, as you say. Um, but yeah, the inside the trailer was just oh, like having a a very bad drunken night replayed to you by a friend, or like putting the pieces back together. Only this is like the worst drunken night you've ever had, uh, <laughs> where you've you've been an actual criminal. So there you go, yeah. and almost murderer, which is whew, they they know how to get you this show. They know how to make it happen. Mm, so let's take the almost murderer and sit him next to the almost murdered victim, shall we? Um, we are waiting to do the Biscuits Braxby interview, um, but Princess Carolyn is interrupted briefly by her assistant Stuart, um, useless as always, um, that notes that the equally rubbish uh, adoption agency uh, member of staff, Tracy, has uh, come to the office um, and needed to see it as quick as possible. Obviously, we know and Princess Carolyn knows what this could be in reference to at this point. Uh, quite a nice touch, I thought, that like they were maybe behind the conversation that Princess Carolyn and Sadie had already had. Um, Princess Carolyn wants the baby desperately, um, but is struggling to make the time to go down to Eden and go get the baby. Um, Tracy, uh, the adoption agency, uh, the adoption agent, suddenly, like again, much in the same way as Stefani, though the motivation could be questionable, is really quite profound. Um, she has a very lived-in experience of her own mother being too busy for her when she was a child. Um, to try and make the point to Princess Carolyn that unless you absolutely definitely know you want this baby, don't do it. It would be a selfish choice and it would be an unfair choice to the baby. Um, when she was younger, uh, it made her feel incredibly alone, especially because it turns out that Tracy was separated from her twin brother due to her parents separating. Uh, all she's got is half a family medallion to show for it. Um, I should point out, Stuart stood there, and he's not impressed with this story at all, because he just assumes everybody's got that family history, because he does too, right down to the other half of a family medallion, which is at the point at which when Tracy says, isn't it weird that that's both the same? And he says, nah, my medallion's a different half. And that rules out there being any possible familial sibling connection between those two complete losers. Um, like, great gag. Like one that was like hiding in plain sight the entire time and just a lovely, like nice bit of fan service in a finale when it was something that was like, you see it, you go, ah, oh, of course, you know, you slap yourself on the side of the head, but just like a lovely, like cute reveal of an ultimately fairly meaningless thread there. A reveal that isn't a reveal to the characters, which is brilliant yeah. because apart from Princess Carolyn, who will at numerous different occasions, if you watch here while this is like all unfolding, you can see I kind of go on like, like I'm trying to, she's like, she's got a hand out, she's trying to gesture to them to basically say like, you, you guys are related. Like you, this is how how are you not saying this? She tries three times, I think, and and eventually just gives up because she physically can't, she can't handle how much of their bullshit is going on here. Like the way they start bickering and they're clearly brother and sister, but they just haven't figured it out. And the amazing way that Stuart inadvertently believes he has the, like oh, like he's like how can't believe we both have the left side of a, of a family medallion. He's like, no, that's not the same. Mine's the right side, he says, if they walk <laughs> off. And you, it's just so stupid. But then we've seen the ineptitude of both of these people throughout yeah. this show. 
And I love the way they've mirrored them as well in different situations, like being lazy, eating junk food, specifically chicken for days, junk food. We'll get more <laughs> of that later on. Like the parallels were there if we were looking really closely. And I guess now we know, although even though they don't know technically. I mean, Princess Carolyn has no time for any of no. this bullshit, of course, because of course she's got a she's got a baby to think about and we have the interview to get to. Um Gina is already sat in the chair and Bojack arrives. There's stilted hellos. Um, Bojack is completely disconsolate now. He's not the man he was, the horse man he was half an hour ago. Now he knows what he's actually done. Um, Gina is angry. Gina is pissed off, as she should be, but doing her best to stifle it, um, much like the way that the bruises uh, have been concealed. She is trying to do the same with her rage, which she is trying to keep down. Um she reminds Bojack that basically what he's done is assaulted her. So again, like to kind of build to your point before, he's become a criminal overnight. This is far from just an incident. This is something that could have gone as far as the police. Um, oh, look, Bojack, it's the police. But she decided not to go down that route. Um, Bojack wants to take this interview opportunity to come clean. Um, he wants to get everything off his chest. Now he sees what he's done through that little phone screen. But Gina very sternly says no. Uh, what Bojack did was assault, but her career is finally taking off. She makes it very clear to him that she will not and cannot be defined by Bojack's attack rather than her own work. Quote, I don't want you to be the most notable thing about me. Like, sorry, just for a split second. Fucking amazing. Because immediately it puts you in mind of the countless stories you've read of women that have gone through this experience. Mm-hmm. And then every time they're casting something from then on, like the media cannot help itself talking as much to do with like, the name that they were maybe the like who was the victim of their assault or the story that dogged their career for several years or bouncing back from a terrible 2018 or what like all those sort of things um it just felt so real and evocative um and she wants the power of this whole situation so she makes him sit down and relent and do the happy smiley short interview as planned um she agrees to be civil to him on set for the duration of the time working together she'll never ever think or talk about him ever again um the interview with biscuits goes well exactly as biscuits would have wanted exactly as she laid out to bojack in the trailer they laugh off the choking calling it acting uh, they admit to once being an item uh they force a kiss to show that there's no hard feelings between the two of them gina even does like a mock strangle on bojack to make it seem as if it's just the stuff that goes on when we're on set and we're really locked into our characters um biscuit is super happy with uh, all of that Softball answers to softball questions for softball content, ultimately, but everybody has theoretically gotten what they needed out of this. Um, set clears, and Bojack is left completely alone yet again to contemplate his hideous existence. His bad doings, I think. Just, just <laughs> being a being a bad person. Um, first off, Gina's a really good actor, isn't she? Unbelievable. I, like, this is the... This is the whole, another great way of showing this, a tragic way of having to show it, but we learn, as we've learned throughout the show, Bojack is an actor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that's one way of putting it, who has maybe got a little bit better, but ultimately is not the best in the world. Gina is that good, though, that she makes this look effortless. Bojack kind of ums and ahs his way through it, because he has to. Um, And I loved, I loved just how defiant she was. I don't want to be the woman who's defined by Bojack Horseman. You know, I don't want... I don't want to just be a statistic or a story. I just want to be able to go and do my career. Such a huge, powerful message, like huge. And even then, she says this in the in the face of Bojack wanting to essentially 
you know, he, he, it's it's selfish because he wants to steal the spotlight by basically doing a tell-all interview. He wants to tell yeah. everyone, it was my fault and I did this and I did that. Owning up to it, and I guess as we've seen, the cycle would just be like the, what Vance Wagner, as we see, mm-hmm. like own yeah. up to it. So you look like a, well, he's owned up to it. So what a great guy for owning up to it. No, like that's not how this works. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes you don't just get to own up to it and that's the end of it. Like, that's not how it mm-hmm. should be. And I love the way they give Gina the chance to have the control in this situation, take the power back from from the men in Hollywood, essentially, which, again, something we don't often get to see. It's a case of him having to live with it. Living mm-hmm. with it in his head is his punishment rather that's than, as you penance, say... Yeah, rather than you saying they're getting out there because, as we've seen countless times through the show, it tends not to be a punishment for the Bojack Horsemans of the world. So, yes, she kind of puts that on him, and that's his to take, and he feels, well, we're going to get to it shortly, he feels kind of conflicted with that, but he goes through with Gina's side of it for Gina in this interview, at least. Um, Back at the What Time Is It Right Now offices, Henry Fondle is in some bother. Uh, a female member of staff comes into his office um, to talk talk business with him. And though she manages to deflect and ignore his nice boobs and I must make love to you, uh, when his battery goes flat and he says insufficient power, she takes that as a challenge to her power and authority and him entering sleep mode as an out-and-out proposition. She has completely pied off the uh, sexually aggressive statements and has instead dealt with the mechanics of Henry Fondle as being problematic. Uh, she describes the experience to a member of the press. They show like them in a, like, a clandestine meeting. It's a great, like, kind of old-fashioned press gang, sort of like, like there's the, the journalist is in a Mac with a hat with a little press card sticking out the top of it. And the story breaks on MSNBC. Uh, Tom Jumbo Grumbo describes it as a, quote, avalanche of ask accusations uh, we get a series of vox pops that reveal henry's done this to others of course he has uh, as well as todd Barnard sort of coolly explaining that quote henry fondle is a sex robot and should not be the ceo of any <laughs> company the media still wrongly assume that this is a metaphor rather than Todd just speaking literal facts about this robot he built. Um, it cuts to the what time is it right now uh, board representative announcing that Henry's been placed on, like, he's been an adequate punishment. He's been placed on indefinite paid leave uh, and the company is scaling back, cancelling all streaming <laughs> services. Uh, the representative says, quote, it's a great day for the women of this company, many of whom will be laid off as we see several female members of staff taking their belongings out of the office. Uh, Princess Carolyn and Flip deal with the news very differently. Flip is just getting started on all the various other networks they could perhaps take the show to. But before he even realises that he's talking to an empty room, Princess Carolyn has left. She's got better places to be and better people to see. Um <laughs> Flip, in a moment of solitude in Princess Carolyn's office, questions if maybe he was Princess Carolyn the whole time. (laughs) Doubles down on this by putting on her lipstick and going, oh, fish, and trying to get into character. An incredible way for us to say goodbye to Flip McVick for the season. Um, Meanwhile, Henry Fondle, obviously scandal-ridden, is forced to leave the building with his stuff in a box of itself. Todd helps him out of the building, and it's at this point where like, a gross uh, business type in a limo pulls up and uh, notes that he's been doing great work at what time is it right now, Doctor? Henry Fondle, this is not Todd. Um, So he offers him a corner office at Disney Fox, AT&T, AOL, Time Warner, 
PepsiCo, Viacom, Halliburton, Skynet, Toyota, Trader Joe's. Uh, he hands the business card. <laughs> 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 he gives the business card to Henry's front dildo and the car speeds off and the business card just floats off the end of the dildo. And uh, Todd's, Todd's got somewhere he wants to take Henry Fondle. Um, back at Diane's, we'll, we'll have one last bit of Diane. Um, we go back to Diane's and she's building a new bed uh, when Bojack shows up. Similar to what we were talking about before. He wants her now to be the one so that he can get all of this out. He wants her to write one of her famed girl crew's takedowns on Bojack Horseman so people finally know about all the awful stuff he's done. She says no. She doesn't want to think about all of this. She certainly doesn't want to write about any of this considering that basically where we are now, it's all because Diane wrote about Bojack Horseman. So you can completely yep. see why she'd want nothing to do with that. Um, she, in the same way that like Stefani has advised her, she's now kind of trying to like supplement that with her own views and advise Bojack. Um, Bojack wants people to know that he's, quote, the bad guy. But she responds saying that there are no, quote, good and bad guys, just guys that all do good and bad stuff. It's kind of paraphrasing a little bit about what Stefani said about the standards that I guess we should all hold ourselves to. But Bojack is desperate to be held accountable, just desperate. Diane says it simply won't and can't happen. Um, interesting here, and I guess this is like a nice point to stop before we hit the, the end montage for all the characters for the entire season, not just this episode. At this point, he goes to neck a handful of pills, takes one look at Diane, he takes one look at him, and he stops. And that's Briefly, we will stop before wrapping this up. Um, big moment there between Bojack and Diane in a series of them, I guess. Uh, but really hard to not cover the downfall of Henry Fondle first because what a ride it's been. Hard to imagine how Henry Fondle would have ever been knocked off his perch, isn't it? I mean, he's such a stand-up employee. What did he possibly do wrong during this whole time? <laughs> He was positive. He said yes all the time. He was constantly trying to help others out and get involved with them. <laughs> Amazing this. I love the... It's 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 a stupid but very funny gag how they have... As we've seen in Hollywood time and time again, there's always something like this where everybody doesn't see the blatantly obvious thing. Like, he's obviously a sex robot. I mean, we can. he's made up. <laughs> he's being created to have sex with a person. And everything he does is a sexual innuendo. And I love the way they sort of subvert it, where it's like anything he says of a sexual nature, they're all like, oh, yeah, you want me to, like, like the, the interpret The boobs of my brain. Yeah, the boobs <laughs> of my brain. Or, like, you've got nice boobs. And he's like, oh, yeah, they were nice, but they were also boobs, those guys we had in that meeting that time. <laughs> like, the whole thing is just excellent. And then as it's just literally functional stuff of his that starts to happen... That's the stuff they interpret, which is a great double-way commentary on, like, one, how people will find something in almost anything. If you're trying, you can find it. Like, you can turn anything out of context into something for your own narrative. Not that I'm saying that's what these people were doing, but that is certainly a commentary. But the more important one here, of course, is that the I'm you know, Henry Fondle, uh, again, technically, Michael, another man in Hollywood <laughs> with four, four men with one penis in Hollywood are bad enough. He's got three. He's an, he's an absolute monster, this man. And I think that the sort of the sort of leeway that people seem to give him is a great, again, overarching thing of like how many terrible men in Hollywood there are and they get away with it time and time again because people have had it ingrained in them where it's this sort of 
playful banter almost that they allow. But then as soon as it comes to those random... I thought it was excellent. What a great gag. What a fantastic gag. But then typically everything's coming up Henry Fondle because, of course, he gets up on a job by a man who was a really, really modern version of Princess Carolyn's old boss, wasn't he? Um, yes, that's why I recognised him. Of course. I forget, that's I forget it. his name. It wasn't him, but um, Marv. Is that our boss? Yeah. From back in the day? Mm-hmm. A very modern version of him. like, um, And it was a big wig, as we'll call him, ironically, mm-hmm. with no hair. Pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, just showing you that the cycle will continue on continue because Hollywood men are the worst, Michael. They really are. <laughs> yeah, no more good whatsoever. And then of course coming back to the coming back to the old faithful, Michael. Mm-hmm. Jack and Diane. And um him holding them tablets, like the big pause and him making he doesn't even really say it. he makes a noise, doesn't he? Kind of goes, like he he mm. realizes he shouldn't do this. Felt like another sort of baby Bjorn Borg moment where they're looking at each other and like, yeah. these are two people who understand each other and know that whether they like it or not, for better or for worse, they know each other really well. They connect on a mental level because they're both kind of struggling through life. Every mm. day seems to be a more difficult task for them in different ways, of course, as we're seeing here. Um, but I love this. Uh, I'll, I'll do this now while, that, while it's fresh and it's in the mind. Just a longer version of what Diane said to him. And in itself, a callback, of course, to like the very first season where Bojack's sitting on the roof uh, with Diane, asking her if he thinks she's a, he's a good person or whatever. And she kind of mm. says, there's no such thing as bad guys or good guys. We're all just guys who do good stuff sometimes and bad stuff sometimes. And all we can try to do is do less bad stuff and more good stuff. But you're never going to be good, specifically meaning Bojack, because you're not bad. So you need to stop using that as an excuse. And I feel like this is... You know, if you haven't figured out, this is a message that the writers are desperate to get home to people mm. in this show. You can't, Todd, we, we've been going back to Todd a lot again in that, I think it's season three, maybe, maybe four, I think it's season three, where Todd says it to Bojack, you can't just do shitty things to people because shitty things happen to you. That's not how this works. Yeah. At some point, something has to change, as the mm. uh, the Japanese house would tell you, Michael. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I love this whole concept for me, I love that they tackle this constantly in this show. Bojack. It's the whole reason for Bojack, essentially, isn't it? Um, and just, of course, Diane there to be the one to try and get him back on track. Get it? Nice. Track. That's my new like, game. I'm trying to get that line into every podcast we do. <laughs> it's, again, like, and I feel like there's probably one more if we went and looked for it. Um, but it's the re- it's another follow-on from the Red Flags remark. It's like at least once a season, somebody very important in his life will put it to him that things can't go the way they're going as a as a functional way to live. And he just needs one after another after another to keep telling him this and to keep drumming it in different ways. Otherwise, he's just doomed to repeat those same mistakes, um, which, I, which I guess we're going to come to. Maybe he's going to try and break the cycle. Let's cover that in just a second. But first, back to Todd and Henry. Um, he said he was going to take him somewhere and he's reached a tree on a hill. Um, it's his, quote, thinking spot. Uh, Henry, he kind of leans Henry, of course, his battery is dying up against the wall. Certain Shawshank vibes about all of this. Um, Mixed with biblical, but of course it's because it's Todd and God. Um, (laughs) Just as if he's committing a murder, because yet again, just like when they put three children in a trench coat and started to make you believe that maybe that was a man after all, they've just humanised Henry Fondle enough that when Todd takes a cattle prod to him, 
It genuinely feels like you're watching Todd execute somebody, not least because the speech thing malfunctions in Henry Fondle and he starts saying the words, I love you, father, as Todd zaps him to death with this thing. It's cold, it's calculated, you feel like you're watching Todd commit a murder, <laughs> it's, but it's, you know, it's a sex robot, Todd's told us that. It's done, it's over, uh, and Todd says as much <laughs> as he... As he rips off, is what time is it right now, suit, and has his entire original outfit on underneath. Hat, hoodie, tracky bottoms, the lot underneath the suit there all along. Uh, his, his flip-flops are under his <laughs> Which was suddenly valuable. How is that even possible? <laughs> <laughs> time for Todd to get back to reality. Um, we're briefly over to Princess Carolyn. She made it, Nicholas. She goddamn made it. She's holding the baby. She's over the moon. Um, Sadie is clearly relieved. She asks about names. Princess Carolyn jokes that it's going to be an untitled Princess Carolyn project. Um, Sadie looks legitimately worried and wants to take the baby back to <laughs> Princess Carolyn. It shows that it is a gag. Um, but that is interspersed with Bojack and Diane in a car pulling into a rehab centre. More on that in just a second, because we are going to Elefante, Mr. Peanut Butter. Did you forget about him? He's going to tell uh, Pickles about Diane over dinner, of course, in the place where she works. He's tried to bring her to a place where he thought she would feel comfortable. Uh, but when he says that they need to talk, she goes into a complete panic. She has a complete meltdown about the idea of that, uh, about the way that like people phrase and start conversations that way. It just plays to all her insecurities. Um, so much so that even the idea of bad news is going to stress her out, regardless of what the news actually is. Um, ultimately, she talks herself down from the cliff edge she's walked up to by saying that no matter what the news is, she's going to love Mr. Peanut Butter unconditionally anyway. He has this moment where he has to decide what he's going to do. So, of course, he does what he's done so many times before. And he proposes to her. The restaurant goes up. Pickles looks over the moon. Something tells me that's going to be a yes. And we might have to deal with more of that next season. But rehab, Nicholas. Rehab. Something that Mr. Peanut Butter was trying to do and failed is now something maybe Bojack is going to try and succeed with. Rehabilitation. Um, him and Diane are stood by the car um, waiting to go into the rehab centre, basically. They're just having a cigarette before Bojack makes the big, bold step. Um, Diane reminds him that rehab isn't going to be a cure but either can either go home where things aren't working or he can try this. Again, it plays this idea that nothing is ever going to fix Bojack Horseman, but why not try this to just try and make things a little bit better and a little bit easier. Um, Bojack seems to have a crisis of conscience and doesn't understand why Diane is being so nice to him. So she tells him a story about a school friend who abandoned her um, for cooler kids, uh, but needed her when her mother got very sick. It was her friend, Abby. Um, and despite the fact that Abby had sold her out and had basically used Diane to get in with this cool crowd, when Abby's mother was ill, Diane was there for her. And she hated her fundamentally. She couldn't forgive her for the fact she'd abandoned her. But, quote, she was Abby and she was a best friend and I loved her. And that was all Diane's rationale for doing the right thing for one of the many wrong people that would enter her life. Um, and she puts it to Bojack uh, the same way. Quote, you're here and I hate you but you're my best friend and you need me. Um, Bojack takes another long sigh, uh, goes over the sort of pre-planned hello as he voluntarily like enters rehab 
he makes a joke about being famous, and you know me, I'm Bojack Horseman, not just because I'm a famous star, but because we rank ahead, which is good because it's not like takes the prestige of a celebrity going to rehab because these things do need to be planned in advance. Um, shares a goodbye with Diane, who waves almost then suddenly worrying what she's going to do without him and then gets back into the car. Um, she herself has a long, laboured, unflinching sigh, takes this big exhale, seemingly thinks a million things in one second, um, and then starts the long drive back. Um, we get the gorgeous Under the Pressure by The War on Drugs as a soundtrack for this which again, you know, fitting for more than the band title. Just a beautiful, beautiful choice. Uh, and she heads home. Um, an aerial shot shows her, it's the old sort of Kubrick shining shot, shows her moving through traffic as the road bends and winds and she kind of dips around cars. Um, and she goes into a tunnel towards Hollywood, I guess, back into that tunnel. And that is season five of Bojack Horseman. That is a wrap, a wrap, my friend on season five of Bojack Horseman. Holy moly. <laughs> uh, I forgot about how good some of this, I say some of it, all of it, let's be honest. <laughs> but there's some of the bits that stuck with me the last time come rattling back. And the second you start getting the opening chords from Under Pressure uh, by Warren Jokes, of course, not to be confused or related in any way, shape or form <laughs> to Under Pressure by um, Bowie and uh, Mercury. Not the same. Very, very different. But like perfect for this. I really, really they always get this right, I feel, in the big moments. Um, where we, we need a song to, to make it memorable. This certainly hits. But there's just something about Bojack and Diane enjoying that one last cigarette together before it's before the party's really over, Michael. Like that's yeah. that's it. It's like that's the moment they've kind of been alluding to for quite some time here. Mm. But Bojack is finally facing the music, as the synopsis even told us. Going to get himself some help, um, you know. Numerous times tries to back out uh, during the drive, doesn't he? He's kind of he's yes. always going to have some some teeth and pains. He was he wriggled a little bit, but mm -hmm. he got there in the end. He got there and made the right call. Diane even technically offers him to open the car door and says, "If you want to go, you can go back and try and keep doing it the way you've been doing." But as we pointed out earlier, that is the cycle of behaviour that has not worked for him and yeah. has produced bad results time and time again until they've progressively got worse and worse over the years. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It seems like he's made the right call. Like, mm. well, we're off the rehab. And there he goes. And as far as, well, as far as the others, I think Diane's kind of faced up to his, um, you know, faced up to the problems in her life, specifically, obviously, the, the one with Bojack as well, and continues to help him despite everything. Carolyn goes and gets her moment. Princess Carolyn goes and gets her moment. Mr. Peanut Butter doesn't. The one He's getting character, married. The one, <laughs> character, the one character on all of this who doesn't really... Pull the trigger on it, man. Like he mm. he bottles it. And he's supposed to be the good guy, Michael. I think it's important <laughs> that we have that. That is the end note we get for peanut butter because we've just had the conversation between Diane and Bojack about there's just good guys, there's no good guys and bad guys, there's just guys. And sometimes you yeah. do good stuff and sometimes you do bad stuff. The Diane stuff. Um I think you're right. I think she um in terms of the conversations that she had with other characters in this episode, she was able to at least find a bit of Maybe not in a piece, but in a strength, which is which is good and important for her. Um, but I loved the there was almost the second that Bojack left, um, the second that he waved, and like I felt like it was sort of determined by the animation style and by that choice of that aerial shot. Diane was gripped with a certain sense of isolation. So she does want to help Bojack earnestly. It's not just about having your screw up friend. Like she does want to help him sort things out. But it was in the moment that he actually agreed to do it that she was almost blindsided by that. And now only had herself to listen to rather than somebody else's mad screwed up problems. And that, um, well, I've compared it to The Shining. Um, the, the reason that shot is used in The Shining is because obviously Jack Torrance and his family are heading into complete isolation. Total isolation that is ultimately going to like destroy him and that family. And Diane having like, that same shot being given to Diane's exit and then going through a dark tunnel. Not like she's along a lovely coast road for a while, but she's not driving into the sunset. Quite the opposite. She's driving into a very, very dark tunnel that is going to take her back to the places that she's just told somebody is You're not known. Good for him. Yeah, it's not good for him to be there. So who's to say it's good for her? It's a lot more... Um, I think it's her kind of like, how, however you call it, like a resolution, I guess, is far more strained, ironically, than Bojack's, considering that he's the one checking into rehabilitation. His is sort of a, his, his route ahead is clearer than hers in a roundabout sort of way. It definitely is. It definitely is. But I also think, like, you're right. She, there's that moment where she, he is obviously, we don't get to see it. We're watching Diane the whole time. She's waving, she's waving, she's smiling. There's a point where he's definitely gone into the rehab centre and she, mm. he can't see her anymore. And the hand just kind of comes down. And yeah. then the expression drops. The animation's great. She looks. She suddenly looks sad and worried and mm. all these... The, sort of the dread is kicking in a little bit. But I think... we. The, well, certainly the, the, what it feels like, the takeaway when this happens is, like, she now... She might not be going to rehab, but she's about to start a very different kind of journey now where... Yeah. Because she's going through that tunnel and she's going to end up back at Latrice Apartments, Michael, and they are still the sad <laughs> apartments. And now she doesn't even have the tragic life of Bojack Horseman to compare against her own and say, mm. 
well, at least I'm not that bad. Like, um, <laughs> so we kind of get the feeling she's going to have to go and do her own bit of rehab, only she's going to be doing it alone uh, without a best friend who she loves and hates, but will ultimately miss, I am sure, very much. Yeah. And who's she going to eat crisps with in the same house, Michael? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know anymore. But that is all of the sort of breakdown of the narrative from this week's episode, which means it is now time for the segment of the show we call Horsing Around, where we go back through the episode and sort of pick up on all these small details you might have missed throughout the episode, all the hidden meanings behind certain things and all of the Easter eggs planted within the episode. Let's find out, shall we? What do they know? Let's find out. We go all the way back <laughs> to the beginning of this episode uh, and we start at the what time is right now, what time is it right now, rather, headquarters. Um, and as Todd, as you mentioned, who does get quite angry at the beginning of this ep- this season this episode so he doesn't he's when he's mm. finding out why things go wrong on his production but before we even get in the building he sort of shouts at the top of his lungs um you shut down production and it felt like a big um ross geller my sandwich moment this yeah. because, as, because as he shouts it like echoes throughout the the sort of surrounding areas and on top of the building a bunch of workers who are all birds just like fly off the building and run away <laughs> All in that, like, bird people all fly off with their suits and stuff on. A very cute gag. Um, but as we go into what time is it right now, and into Todd's office more specifically, you will notice, if you're paying attention, he still has the burn mark on his suit mm. in the exact point where you'll remember last week's episode during the advert where he realised he hadn't made any, hadn't <laughs> sold any advertisement for his company and for the show, Filbert. He put the pipe that he was smoking back into his jacket without letting it... <laughs> sort of cool off and stop smoking and just left this massive black mark on his jacket, which was still there in this episode. Of course it was. It's Bojack. That's how it works. Now, barely even... One of the shortest cold opens I can remember this, like really mm. short and brief, and yet somehow they managed to put in one of the most convoluted bits of humour, I think, in, an, in a long, long time. Princess Carolyn says the following line when she's talking to Todd and he's trying to pull the plug on the show. She says to him, face it, you need us like a fish needs a bicycle in Portland, Austin, Boulder or Minneapolis, St. Paul. Now, we will have to break this down piece by piece. This okay. is such an up its own arse joke, this. But Todd, <laughs> Todd then replies, I'll just give you the rest. Todd then replies, you're out of order, he shouts at that. And then she says, okay, fine. Switch Boulder and Austin and move the Twin Cities to the front. Now, the layers to this joke are as follows, based on our musings and huntings throughout the thing. Let's start with, you need us You need us like a fish needs a bicycle, okay? Which is a sort of nod in itself to the line, made famous, I think, technically by Gloria Steinem, but was originally said by Irina Dunn. Basically, from the catchphrase, it was, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. So that's the mm-hmm. start there, which makes sense, because Princess Carolyn, of course, being a strong feminist herself and a powerful female figure, it makes sense that she would have taken this popular slogan among feminists amongst their own life and sort of switched it around in a yeah. weird way. Yeah. All used, Michael, as a way to get to the bicycle gag that is hidden in here because famously Portland, Austin, Boulder and Minneapolis, St. Paul all have like a famous cycling scene there, um, quite mm. popular with cyclists. Um, and I assume lots of places there for cyclists to sort of convene, get together, clubs, and et cetera, et cetera. And the ranking that she puts them in is Portland, Austin, Boulder, or Minneapolis, St. Paul. And then, of course, when she's called, when Todd says you're out of order, just angrily, <laughs> a bit like Al Pacino, she then decides to switch the order of the cities which she has ranked in terms of cycling. 
there's just no need for it. There's no need for this joke, but it's excellent. But also, what a pain in the arse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, from there, um, after we go to Todd, and after Princess Carolyn promises she'll sort everything out, he says, I just made me laugh this, he says, good, because my boss has made it very clear that if we let him down, he will, quote, eat my ass for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's hard to really see what went wrong with Henry Fondo, isn't it, at the top of yeah. uh, what Thames are right now. But, yeah. hey-ho. And also, in the middle of all this, I just thought it was well worth pointing out that the office gentleman who we've become so fond of is just napping on the chair next to everybody the whole time this is going on. Just fast asleep, having a snooze. Love that guy. Love him. Love that guy so much. We go to the opening credits, and there's been a few changes this week based on Bojack being a piece of shit, Michael. But, more importantly, you will notice that all of the female figures in Bojack's life are suddenly absent from the credits. Um, we go to the living room when we're in Bojack's house and it's panning across. Gina is no longer there in the living room or in the kitchen. She is now gone because obviously she yeah. leaves his house at the end yeah. of the previous one. Um, and then in the living room on the set of Philbat, we Gina is still in there because she still works there, but not there is Diane, who is now missing from the Philbat set living room. And then similarly... As we get to the set, the kitchen of Philbats on the Philbat set, Princess Carolyn is nowhere to be seen in the kitchen. So if you hadn't already picked up on it, guys, Bojack has destroyed a lot of relationships in this season uh, and mm. certainly treated the women in his life pretty badly, as well as the fact, I guess, also Philbat is indeed probably coming to an end or is on hiatus, so they wouldn't technically be on the set. It all makes yeah. sense to someone. Anyway, we go from there across to Vim offices. And... As we figured out, of course, this this episode, Stuart and Tracy Michael are indeed brother and sister. They're just too stupid to figure it out. But there's been plenty of clues, and one of them in this very episode. Well, we got that split phone call between Stuart and Princess Carolyn and Sadie as she's announcing that she's having a baby. You'll see Stuart is just lying is technically asleep on Princess Carolyn's couch in her office. Um, and around him scattered is a bunch of leftover chicken for days wrappers from various bits and pieces, as well as a drink. From Chicken for Days. And if you recall, in a previous episode, maybe last week, maybe the week before, um, Tracy was obviously on the phone to Princess Carolyn and she had a bunch of Chicken for Days stuff all around her that she'd just yes. finished off, as well yeah. as like a big gulp or something she had, or there was another gag in there and I can't, pig gulp it was called, the one she <laughs> How could I possibly forget that? Um, also, brilliantly, <laughs> Stuart, when he's waiting on the other line while Princess Carolyn is talking to Sadie, he's just on his phone, he's hungry still. And he's looking through his phone at burgers. He's just looking at pictures of burgers, presumably trying to figure out what he wants to eat next. Maybe from different for <laughs> I don't. But it's very good indeed. There's also a great gag they use with the, the visual of the three split screens. I think it goes down to two where it's just Carolyn and um, Sadie. As Sadie has a contraction uh, in the hospital, there's a skunk that almost looks like <laughs> it comes out of here and walks past Princess Carolyn, which makes her break her car as the skunk is texting on his, presumably his phone, um, and the way the doctors kind of look in the room, it looks like they've seen the skunk go across the road. It's all very clever. It's all a great use of the visual gag. Um, but then there's this brilliant line from, Sa from Sadie when she's, Princess Carolyn says she's in the middle of something really important. Sadie says, you're in the middle of something important. I'm about as deep in contractions as an apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a great line to come out of yeah. it. Which hopefully is... That doesn't actually, and it's the baby which comes out of her eventually. But yet, she still has time 
to chuck out the witticisms. We go from there across to Latrice's apartment, Diane's apartment, um, and you'll see just outside of hers, there's like an establishing shot of Latrice's apartments. There's a couch that's been left on the sidewalk with a sign on it that says, free, no bed bugs, exclamation mark. But then if you wait long enough, Michael, the cushions of the chair are pushed out the way and there's a little bed bug man who's like waiting to come out of it at some <laughs> point. Stupid gag, but rather funny. Um, <laughs> something I've never considered, but a brilliant gag nonetheless. Mr. Peanut Butter is talking to Diane about the fact that they did the sex, Michael. And he mentions, do you remember this thing that happened between me and you? He goes, starts to go into explicit detail and says, I was on top and then briefly on bottom. Humany style. <laughs> <laughs> of course, a great play on doggy style because he's a dog and he's a you know, he's dog. A, he's a dog. Yeah. It's funny. They're the Do you get it? <laughs> um, Princess, Princess Butter. That's not him. Uh, Peanut Butter also says, um, I hate keeping secrets from people. This is like Rob Schneider's surprise party all over again. They kind of mention this a little bit further and say how like it's less, it's less sad and there's less... More people there or something? I've looked and looked and looked for this. I don't know if this is just a classic Raphael Bob Waxberg having a pop at Rob Schneider, just a joke at his expense, or if there's actual like context to this, because we both looked for this hmm. and could not find a specific reference to the party. If anybody does have it, though, please let us know. I would love to know about the party Rob Schneider had that didn't really work out <laughs> or something. Uh, at Podcast Horseman, with your thoughts on that one. Um Diane, of course, I did also mention earlier. There was a couple of like long. She gets a great, some great um, dialogue in this episode. Not least this one where she says, "No, you didn't make me feel anything." To peanut butter, she says, "I am gross. I feel all the time like a garbage fire, and not a cozy dumpster in a quaint alley, but a barge floating out to sea with no rudder. I am a rudderless, burning, large garbage barge." Holy shit! Did I like? <laughs> <laughs> 2020 to me, Diane. <laughs> Man, it's like the Princess Carolyn. They sometimes treat themselves to wordplay, don't they, as well? That's... Certainly do. I am a rudderless, burning, large garbage barge. I'm sure someone out there has got this in their Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, later on in Latrist, uh, we sort of cut away and then come back. Um, just a cute thing after Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter have slept together once again, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that as they put their clothes back on, they start talking again in the room. Diane is still wearing the little blue underpants she used to wear when she was living with Mr. Peanut Butter with little pink bones on them. Like, yeah, like, good spot. Very cute. She's still wearing them. Also, Michael, is it a very cute, but also maybe a little over the toply gross joke? A little pink bone is all I'm going to say. Oh, man. Uh, and just, yeah. On I the mean, same episode where Flip used lipstick. On the same episode, man. A, a pink lipstick, no less. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like that's not accidental. I feel like that's the kind of territory they go into with this. Flipstick? Flips dick? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, let's Please. go to Bojack's trailer, shall we? Where I'm sure nothing else could possibly go wrong. Oh, wait, no. Here we go. Biscuits back <laughs> And says to Bojack, this interview is going to go down smooth like a 1995 Zinfandel. You ever try one of those 95 Zins? Good year for Zinfandels. Bad year for Oklahoma federal buildings. Mm. Oy, which, first of all, I would really like to find out what a 95 Zinfandel tastes like and why it was so important to reference in this episode. 
Anybody who has any uh, lines on them, please let me know because I would like to try that. <laughs> what I would like to try, though, is unfortunately reliving a real tragedy that they do reference in passing here. Of course, the Oklahoma federal buildings, bad yeah, they are referring to, was the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, the domestic terrorist, terrorist truck bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City in Oklahoma, uh, which happened on the 19th of April, 1985. And just as Wikipedia will tell us, Michael, perpetrated by anti-government extremists Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, and the bombing happened uh, and killing at least 168 people, injuring more than 680 others. So, of course, the perfect fuel for a quick joke from Biscuits Braxby. Anyway, mm. let's move on from that one, shall we? They do like to get right up to the line with this one, don't they? And yeah. in the same season where they've mentioned the Unibomber as well, as you yeah. point out in our pre-production meeting before this pre-production. Hey, look at us. Eating food. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> uh, Princess Carolyn, though, to Bojack, um, when talking about Bojack kind of says, oh, did you feel like maybe me and her were flirting a bit? He's still kind of in his mm-hmm. drug haze that's still still looming on him a bit. She sort of says, yeah, you guys have a real flirty energy, like Matt Lauer and those magazine cutouts he now interviews in his kitchen. We had, I had to do a bit of digging about this. You knew more than I did, but of course, obviously, of course, Matt Lauer, what you probably call disgraced, I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah. As Wikipedia will tell you, following allegations of inappropriate sexual behaviour, Lauer's contract was terminated by NBC in November 2017 after the network reported receiving a detailed complaint from a colleague about inappropriate sexual behaviour in the workplace and added that the network had, quote, reason to believe this may not have been an isolated incident. And it feels important that they put that in here in an episode that specifically deals with a lot of this, specifically Henry Fondle and all of the people he harasses throughout this episode. Yeah. <laughs> You knew a little bit more about this than I did. So just quick summary from you, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, just to sort of like build on that, really. Matt Lauer was NBC's go-to guy for daytime interviews. Um, not a huge name in the UK, but that only reminds us how irrelevant the UK is sometimes compared to the United <laughs> States, where it was an absolutely enormous name. 20 years as NBC's lead anchor, nearly 40 in the industry. So just a kind of like pillar of that side of the media. Very much another, I guess, like a biscuit's, Braxby type character that would have once been Matt Lauer's job is now Biscuits Braxby. So, you know, not all bad, I guess, Biscuits in this episode. Um, but yes, that gag specifically being that he's gone from being given everybody to interview to absolutely nobody due to a litany of allegations, which, um, you know, if you look at Wikipedia, doesn't go into a huge amount of detail beyond what they can without obviously libeling themselves. But um, a number of people came forward. Lauer was in such a position of enormous power at NBC, like, that he was able not just to have like situations, should we say, with female members of staff, but also yield that power for bad, for very bad indeed. People that wouldn't be fine, I guess, with his demeanour in the workplace would immediately find themselves suddenly out of a job or they would suddenly feel under pressure to do certain things to cater to his proclivities. Um, great that me too... And speaking out and all the variants of that happened because all of that behavior was normalized for generations and decades. And it will take just as long to flush all of that out. And Matt Lauer was seen as one of like, for years, must have been positioned as an untouchable figure that was finally like gotten out. And it was seen as like, I wouldn't call it a big win for NBC. The sense is that, again, not to libel anybody, there are allegations that a lot of people knew a lot of things and that actions weren't taken until they absolutely had to be taken. But they were taken in the end, and that's a good thing, I guess. Mm. 
an interesting thing to bring in and certainly put into your mindset when watching this episode, I think. Mm. And not to make light of any of that, of course, but I think it's fair to say, Michael, someone like Biscuits Braxby has taken the crumbs left by Matt Lauer, <laughs> indeed, Matt indeed. Lauer and turned them into something better. I think we can all agree. Because mm. women, I don't know if you've found this out yet, are better. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it? Um, we go across to Sandro's place from there, though. And um, inside Sandro's place, great gag, this. I remember watching this and laughing my head off at the first time. You will find, as we get into the bar and you sort of get a slow zoom out, there's a, there's a hare who was drinking at the bar, Michael, alone, drowning mm. their sorrows with a beer. And then as we slowly zoom further out, we find there are three very happy tortoises who are drinking champagne <laughs> and celebrating in a booth very, very slowly, doing the most slow-motion cheers with the glasses you've ever seen because, of course, it was the tortoise and the hair story and they all are wearing runner's gear. They've got numbers on. <laughs> the tortoises have actually won the day and the hair is drinking by himself. Having a hair of the hair? Brilliant. <laughs> so, Love that. I don't know, but it was funny nonetheless. Um, we go from there to the set of Filbert, though, uh, and... I've written down there just with an exclamation mark. Stuart and Tracy are twins. And they're just too <laughs> stupid to figure it out. But of course, their family crest medallion that they both have, if you have a look a bit closer, you don't obviously get to see them put together because, again, they haven't figured it out. But you kind of put, figure out the gist. It's like a, it's got an eye in the middle of it. It's got eyelashes on it and stuff. And then across the bottom has the words written, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> One U, a bunch of Gs, and an H on the end because... That sounds like it sums them up pretty well. What were their mom and dad like, Michael? I guess is what you could ask yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just fantastic. Princess Carolyn does try on numerous occasions to tell them, but they just won't listen because they're too busy bickering amongst themselves like brother and sister. We go across to MSNBC, and of course, it's time for another fun news ticker. But before we get there, Michael, we do have a, a funny quote, I would say, from the man whose name we will never get wrong again, Tom Jumbo Grumbo, not Tom Jumbo... Tom Jumbo Gumbo, as me and you called him, or Gumbo Jumbo. Called yeah. him that for seasons, I'm sure, of this podcast. I still feel bad about that. But Tom Jumbo Grumbo says the following. What time is it right now? For female employees of one popular website, the answer is sexual harassment o'clock. <laughs> 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 oh, Tom, never change. Uh, we do also at this point get the news ticker that I've mentioned is going across the bottom and has the following news stories. I will rattle them off as quick as I possibly can. Black Panther slays at box office. Film, also a success. <laughs> uh, link letter, Garfunkel enthusiasts open Museum of Fine Arts. We also get owner of Blue Toyota Camry left lights on in MSNBC parking lot. <laughs> US military ends refugee crisis by bombing all refugees. <laughs> uh, there's one that I just didn't quite get the gist of but I will read it anyway and you can if you've got it send us at Podcast Horseman EPA CPA tapped for the CVS CEO role I think the gag's more or less just the abbreviations of various mm -hmm. different roles there um, but then there's also one that says Panda Gunman eats shooter <laughs> so there you go <laughs> so that's okay. it um, we also get, as we go to the women, we cut the women who are being box-popped outside. There's like people protesting with banners. Uh, the banners read as follows. No more fondling for fondle. Time out for fondle. No second chances. Fire fondle this minute. Need to see the pattern here? Um, time to clock out fondle. <laughs> fondle, <laughs> your time is up. Then there's a great one that says, what crime is it right now? Very nice. <laughs> like that. And there's one that says, watch you wit. What you waiting for? W T I I R N question mark. 
watch obviously is in the time again and uh, it's time for a change is the last one that can be seen there the woman who's being interviewed outside there and I should point out I'm not just being the guy who doesn't know her name she literally isn't given a name in this interview she is just the woman who's being interviewed uh, she says he said he wanted to get all up in my gut talking about Henry Fondle of course yeah. he said he wanted to get all up in my guts with his penis and ejaculate inside me at the time, I just thought it was typical corporate banner. But now, I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> scared a great call. But as we re- mentioned, the sort of flipping it on its head, very funny indeed. And then we go across, Michael, to the man being interviewed. We get the great commentary from him, which feels like he's making some excellent points here, Michael, right? When he says, look, obviously men should not be engaging in predatory behaviour at the office. But I am worried... Now the pendulum's going to swing too far in the other extreme, where they'll be held account- <laughs> where they'll be held accountable for that behaviour, and that's not ideal either. <laughs> God. Oh, just what a piece of trash, man! God damn it! <laughs> and then, of course, we get the final interview. I think one of- from this one, which is just Todd, who, of course, as you mentioned, basically says like Henry Fonnell is a sexual robot and should not be the CEO of any company. Before telling them, no, I'm not kidding. Like this isn't a <laughs> metaphor. That's just literally as it is. Brilliantly, though, if you were paying attention, because a theme throughout the show, Todd eats things a lot, you will see. But in this particular interview, he is eating, Michael, one of those bananas in a bun with mustard on it that we got in season five, episode four, if you remember, from a place called the Banana Stand, Bunana yes. Stand, yeah. uh, where the woman took one bite and threw it in the bin because it was disgusted. Because obviously, it's a banana in a bun with mustard on it. Why on earth would you like that? Mm. Todd has got one of those in his hand. A cute little reference back to that. We go from there, though, to sort of the fallout that's happening here. And uh, we see things are being shut down, like the promotional stuff. Uh, the offices are being pulled down. Todd's office is getting stripped down. Uh, the promotional stuff, though, is being like pasted over with cancelled forever banners. But the person yeah. who was pasting them over, as if you remember, there was a bunch of filbert posters on a wall that we saw last episode. Um the guy who's pasting over the top of them with the last poster is the Willie Nelson-looking man, you'll recall, who's been, he was originally uh, in prison with Todd, and he's the man who knifed someone to death in prison. Uh, oh, yeah. Todd sees him. The guy's like, hey, stick with me, and I'll look after you. And the <laughs> Willie Nelson guy stabs him to death like eight times, um, which is fantastic, ridiculous. He's obviously on the mend, though, because we see him doing various different things. I'm sure he's worked for, like, U-Haul in this world, E-W-E-Haul, I should point out. And now it seems he's continuing his uh, rehabilitation of his own, Michael, by doing more work in postering over the cancelled forever, uh, like, signs on the Bojack. And uh, the Philbad poster, sorry. Also, as we see, the spokeswoman for uh, What Time Is It Right Now, obviously, is mentioning, mentioning all the things that are happening. They're stripping it down. They just want to get back to doing the, the usual thing, Michael, where they give people the time without, you know, predatory behaviour going on around them. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think that line is worth mentioning again that you mentioned. This is a great day for the women of this company, many of whom will be laid off. And that oh. is what the ch- that is the effect of change, Michael. We won. We got the win against crappy behaviour. Now all the women suffer as a result of oh, that. No, it's a horribly double-edged sword, this one. Um, but even worse, Michael, amongst all of this, let's just, the real victim in all of this is the sad-looking, the office gentleman who walks out, has also been laid off from what time is it right now? He's behind the women with their boxes of belongings and he just looks very sad. But he doesn't have a box of belongings, Michael. He just has a stick with, like, the cloth 
you know, with all his belongings in the cloth <laughs> tied to the end of the big long stick that he's like, holding over his arm, oh, over no. his shoulder as he walks out, presumably, Michael, to just go and sleep on someone else's couch somewhere else. Oh. Who knows? Bless him. We love you, the office gentleman. Never, ever change. Speaking of the office gentlemen, though, we go from those officers to Vim officers. And as we mentioned, Flip McVicker, brilliant moment here, <laughs> where he sort of is mentioning like the, the whole thing's collapsing. They get told by Stuart in this really pathetic way, really, that uh, Philbert is being removed from what time is it right now. It will no longer be there. They're cancelling everything. And Flip's trying to find other sort of potential websites to move Philbert to. And he mentions a bunch. And then he sort of has this parting gig. A, a, sorry, part and dig. It's TNT where he says, "Or oh, if we're really desperate, TNT we can move to." Which, <laughs> for listeners who know myself and Michael from having to do wrestling-related content, that felt like an interesting job in particular. <laughs> of course, brilliantly as you mentioned, I really this was the pop of the episode for me when mm-hmm. Princess Carolyn disappears to go and obviously go and see Sadie and try and get that baby. Flip is left in her office and he's like, "Oh God." Maybe I was Princess Carolyn the whole time. And the camera does that slow pan into him, at which point he starts. He His eyes don't move. He's just staring off in one particular <clears> direction <throat> as he slowly puts lipstick on his face and then says, Oh, fish! Which is just <laughs> yeah. such a great way for his whole thing to end because he just doesn't know who he is. It's like a tie-in to the Philbot stuff. It's a tie-in to Bojack stuff. Mm-hmm. It also feels like a tie-in somehow to his Mr. Robot. Uh, again, we've mentioned it before. Um, Rami, uh, Rami Malek, who does the voice of Flip McVicker, was also in Mr. Robot. And there's, there's definitely parallels between uh, him and his character from there. Very funny indeed. But yeah, just amazing. what a great pop. A great, great pop that was. And we go from there, though, outside of the What Time Is It Right Now offices. And Todd is carrying his books of belongings from his office. You'll see inside there is the cat clock with the eyes that move back and forward. There's a Rubik's Cube in there as well. You'll see a book that is very specifically in that style. You'll know the books. I mean, Time Management for Dummies is in there. And it's that yellow and black style. You know you know the typical for dummies books that you get. He's got mm-hmm. one of those. It's also, Michael, incredibly, which appeals to me and you, I know this, just a bowl of cereal full of the brim with a spoon in too. Um, <laughs> presumably a snack for later on after he's moved all of his stuff out. Um, I just also find it amazing that Henry Fondle, Michael, manages to technically land himself a corner office job at Disney, Fox, AT&T, AOL, Time Warner, PepsiCo, Viacom, Halliburton, Skynet, Toyota, Trader Joe's. I thought that was very impressive. <laughs> like, I mean, he just just literally walks into the next job. Who is he, Mr. Peanut Butter? I don't know. <laughs> but he is, funnily, carrying a box on his head. And the box reads, clocking out, because it's a clock and it's the time and it's what time is right now. Very good. Wonderful stuff. And just to point out again how awful that big wig man in the limousine is. Uh, He lights his cigar, Michael, with money. He uses cash that is on fire to light the cigar in his mouth and then uses cash again to like itch or sort of dab his head uh, while he's talking to Henry Fondle still. God, I hate these men. I hate money and what it does to these men. God. <laughs> anyway, we go from there across to Latrice Apartments once again. Oh, one of my favourite gags in this. Diane is rebuilding her broken bed because, of course, when her and Mr. Peanut Butter do the sex, Michael, they basically break every bit of furniture in her house, uh, which mm-hmm. Mr. Peanut Butter offers her $20 for. And she says, that's not necessary, but yes, that would cover it all. Uh, <laughs> she's gone to Ikea, Michael. Or whatever this version, this world's version of IKEA is, and bought herself a new bed, a new couch bed, which she's mm. currently building. And as you'll see on the packaging, it's called 
Regretta Som, Som spelled S-O-M-N, but of course, a lot of regret I feel like she has from sleeping with Mr. Peanut Butter once again. There is also, though, another um, box in the background that you quickly and briefly see that says it's labelled Backslide. (laughs) (laughs) But spelled back S-L-E-I-D rather than Backslide, but you know what it's referring to. She's went and had sex with the ex, Michael. She's on a bad track. Get it? Track? See, I'm going to do it again. You've done it again. And again, I want to mention this quote because it does feel important, not just in this episode, but in the whole show. I've already read it out once. I'm going to read it again because it's that great. There's no such thing as bad guys or good guys. We're all just guys who do good stuff sometimes and bad stuff sometimes. And all we can try to do is do less bad stuff and more good stuff. But you're never going to be good because you're not bad. So you need to stop using that as an excuse. It feels really important, this. Really important. Not just for Bojack, man. For all of the characters in this show at this current period, they kind of need to hear those words, I feel. Herself included, perhaps. Um, yes. We go from there across to what I've called Todd's special thinking spot, Michael, where he takes Henry Fondle to put him out to pasture, shall we say. Um, exceptionally, exceptionally, this amazing scene, the singular tree in amongst this beautiful bit of greenery, mm. um, very quiet, as you say, very um, Shawshank-esque. Immediately, Henry Fondle spots the tree and automatically starts trying to have sex with it because it has a hole in the middle of it. <laughs> There's a tiny little hole in the tree and he's just like, oh, yes, and off he goes trying to do the sex with the tree. R.I.P. Henry Fondle, of course, who does indeed get murdered in cold, in cold blood by Todd with the taser slash cattle prod thing. He electrocutes him. And this moment where he's powering down and saying, what does he say? You, I love you, father, or whatever he says. I says. love you, I mean, father, yeah. Dying. Todd holds him in his arms, cradles, cradles him, Michael, like a baby. Just cradles him, holds him down. And then eventually, as he drops to the floor, it's brilliant because Todd holds his head, which is, of course, a blender, with the couple of googly eyes on it. And the <laughs> eyes just fall off. The eyes fall off just as the last moment to let you know he really is dead. And that's the end of Henry Fondle. And I loved Todd just literally like cleansing himself of being the, the, the mm-hmm. high-ranking person in what time is it right now, and peeling, literally peeling off his suit and shoes to reveal he was wearing his usual clothes underneath all along. Very Bruce Almighty-esque, this Michael, when he sort of derobes yeah. himself, powers only Todd wasn't naked, thankfully. Um, some might say, Michael, the powers that be flow through the hands of our Todd. The hands mm-hmm. of Todd, you may call them. Um, we go across to the, as you say, we get this sort of montage where everybody's getting their closing moments from the scene, all the important people in the episode. And you will notice, of course, that Princess Carolyn Michael has her baby, which is, of course, a porcupine baby. Because mm. if you hadn't, you hadn't twigged yet or spelt, I guess, because you might end up getting up a porcupine these days. <laughs> um, Sadie, of course, her ex-partner, boyfriend, maybe. No, she definitely wasn't married. Was she married? I don't think so. No. Partner. Strib, of course, the lovely Strib, who turned up on his quad bike that time, was, of course, a porcupine, hence the porcupine baby. Nice to see they are consistent. We go from there to Pastiche's Rehabilitation Centre, where Diane has taken Bojack to finally confront his fears and face the music. Um, We see wonderfully that Bojack has a bag over his shoulder as he's about to head into rehab. Of course, Michael, it's his spy bag. But spy has been scribbled out and replaced by rehab because now it's his rehab bag. Of course it is. <laughs> Brilliantly, the line that really hits you, man, is Bojack sort of is quite literally facing his face, says, 
what if I get sober and I'm still the same awful person I've always been, only more sober? And I don't think I'm a, I don't feel like I'm a uh, terribly bad person in the way Bojack is, but this was a genuine concern. I took a year off to drink back in 2019 and I wanted to, I wondered what, what would happen. You genuinely don't know, like, what's just being sober like 24 seven and what you're going to find out about yourself. And this really resonated. This felt like it's a big step for him. And you do wonder yeah. how he's going to come out the other side, but felt really important that line. And then um, I just want to tell you all who listen to this podcast, something really, really important that you need to know. Bojack Horseman, the show does driving in a car scenes better than the show you like better than any other show on television. God damn it. When a character gets in a car and the soundtrack starts playing, you know you're in for a good time on this show. And oh, Diane, the one though, finally getting her moment where she's mm. the centre focus. She's the one who gets to have a driving montage. It's usually Bojack, let's be honest, who gets to do them. Uh, and not this time, though. She gets her own. And of course, the final song in the episode, as you mentioned, Michael, Under Pressure by The War on Drugs, which soundtracks the ending of this finale in such a brilliant and beautiful way. Interesting as well, I guess it's not directly related, but just interesting. The war on drugs feels quite yeah. important as well, doesn't it? Really does. And as does the title of the song, Under Pressure, for both Diane <laughs> and um, and Bojack. Not least, Michael, because Di- Diane is going through a tunnel, which, of course, increases the pressure as you go through Indeed. the tunnel. Indeed. There you yeah. go. However, that is everything from this section of Horsing Around this week. Uh, lots of fun times there, but that is the finale of Bojack Horseman, but as I am finding out from our sponsors, what crime is it right now? <laughs> uh, now that they've been scaled back, <laughs> they're telling us we don't have time, but we're going to take time anyway because they're pieces of shit who've just chucked and got rid of all our women. So there you go. Time for one last thing, Michael. And I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Do you have one this week? And would you like to go first or second? I do, and I'll go first, because it's a, only a real minor detail in a series oh. full of like major developments for the characters. I just yeah. really liked that the interview between Biscuits and Gina and Bojack took place where it did, which was on the Filbert set, and they linger on the fact that it's in Bojack's living room, and you know he's there theoretically in his own house, but of course it's not, it's the set. And how do we know for definite that it's the set? Because of the background. Um it's the post-apocalyptic scene because, of course, the missiles dropped at the end of season one. And it's something, it's a particular type of phrasing that they've been very careful to steer away from when they've been talking about the state of Hollywood post-missile attack, which, of course, now perfectly describes what Bojack has yet again done to his personal professional life. It is, of course, scorched earth. Yet again, Bojack has brought misery and hellfire down on everything that wants wants good in his life. And I just thought it was really nice that in the scene that kind of defined that the most, they had this everything's fine chat against the background of Scorched Earth, foreshadowing indeed what would happen to Filbert and all of them. Yeah, I love that. Um, Really felt like the perfect place for this to happen. And also because the whole interview itself was just so fake and fraudulent and Mm -hmm. Hollywood-ish that it felt only right that it takes place on a set because... It's all a work. None of it's real. Yeah. It doesn't. Nothing matters. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if it's real anymore, and I don't know if I care. Do you know what I mean? That's the mm, that seems yeah. to have been the theme throughout this, and that's been that blending of the lines, and we got it once again there. My one last thing is something I've technically touched on in this episode already, but I did think it was really important or really interesting because uh, I feel like this is the first time this might have happened. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack 
we often talk about the parallels in their lives and how nine times out of ten, peanut butter is really good at everything. Uh, or is yeah, I'd say really good at everything. Like things mm. just happen for him. He's got a positive mental attitude. Uh, you know, he goes places, people like him. Everything seems to come up peanut butter, and he'll just walk from one role to the next. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen for Bojack, but we know he's quite miserable. He doesn't really like people. He's not good at doing what peanut butter does on a regular basis. And there's always that parallel between the two. But it, is this the first time in this in this season, in this show maybe, where Bojack does the right thing and peanut butter does the wrong thing? Um, it, it feels that way because it feels like they very specifically, I can't remember a time where they had almost every other character do what they needed to in this episode. Like Diane, yes, she's still got a long way to go, but she ultimately makes the correct choice to help Bojack. She doesn't have to, but she chooses to do that anyway, face that, and then realise she's going to have to go and face the unknown and the scary world herself in a life that she admits she's been living where she feels gross all the time, where she feels like her whole life is a dumpster fire, a garbage barge, however she puts it. Like, <laughs> But she does it anyway, because it's, not, it's, yeah. it's not, not the easy choice, but it's the correct choice. Princess Carolyn, mm. again, has to make the choice between going to get the, going to sort of adopt a, a kid, or maybe she needs to just sort Bojack out, or maybe she needs to do both. She makes the correct choices, and she gets to where she needs to go. And again, you feel like that isn't going to be the easy path. That's only the beginning of another very difficult path. Yeah. Bojack again, off to rehab, he sort of makes the choice, albeit with the help of Diane, yes, but eventually makes the right choice. Having made lots of wrong choices beforehand, <laughs> I should point out, I'm not giving him any slack for that, but he does make the right call and goes up to, to rehab. Peanut Butter, though, is the only one who doesn't. He really doesn't. He makes, he is there. He, he turns up, he faces the fear, like looks it in the face, and then he bottles it. He completely and utterly bottles it and mm. makes a choice that will send him down a path that can't that can't be good. That's the foundation of that is built on a lie and like not telling the truth. Like, and it just yeah. feels like I, I don't recall seeing that before. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that's the first. Certainly, when we track them as contrasting figures, um, even when it's not a conscious choice on Mr. Peanut Butter's part, things work out okay. So even if the two characters aren't making conscious choices, which they are here, it's still things go peanut butter's way in a way that yeah. they don't for Bojack because of one small, seemingly insignificant decision peanut butter's made that has allowed for his road through life to be so much easier than Bojack's. Um, so yeah, I think you're probably right on that one. I think yeah. that certainly, it feels like a first, it feels like a moment for the show. Um, it's again, as, as you pointed out earlier in the episode, it's this is the episode to do it in because what was something that Diane always said about Mr. Peanut Butter He's a good boy. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. I was yes, he just is. thinking of this line, man. Yeah. But there are no good boys and bad boys. Only boys that sometimes do good things and sometimes do bad things. And Mr. Peanut Butter in this episode for the first time has been framed in those terms. So, yeah, I think you're probably right. I, like, without sort of going through with the fine tooth comb of every single one, this feels like a quite an important first. It's not one that springs to mind, certainly. If there is, of course, at Podcast Horseman, be sure mm. to tell us. How wrong we are if, you, if, that's, if that's what you want to do because <laughs> it does happen and i have to be honest i do we do enjoy it because we you know we have, we analyze this show as much as we possibly can but we do have a very select window for it and i guess we kind of have to say like we like to be told things that we didn't catch as well don't Absolutely, feel like yeah. we're ever going to sort of bat you away we love getting those messages in the dms where mm. people have picked up on stuff that we've completely missed wonderful stuff indeed but yes this felt important for the that sort of good guys and bad guys thing and i felt like they've really 
hammered home. We don't know what anybody is in this show. Specifically, that guy is supposed to be a very good boy. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And maybe he's not. Anyway, he's just like everybody else in this show. But now that really is everything for this week's episode. All that remains is to give you the plugs for this lovely podcast that we enjoy doing so very much. If you liked it and you've enjoyed your time here, or maybe you've hated it and absolutely never want to listen to it again, I tell you what you should do. Either way, you should follow it on social <laughs> media, where you can either send hate or love in whatever form you wish, at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram to do just that. Uh, please do give us a follow. Give us a like on our weekly posts for the show um, links and stuff. And also be sure to comment. Let us know your thoughts on all of the, the podcast on BoJack Horseman. What's your favourite stuff? Tell us anything you want to tell us. We are happy to talk about it all. As we always say, though, we are, of course, a spoiler-free podcast. So we will talk to you about anything that's happened up to this exact point. But we probably can't mention anything after that, just to don't spoil it for anybody who isn't up to that point just yet. Uh, you can also follow either of your hosts if you'd like to do that. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at It's Adam Nicholas. And you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. Um, we'd love you to find Podcast Horseman through Apple Podcasts, uh, where we invite you to follow or subscribe, depending on what version of the podcast you've got. Um, on Spotify, where you can also follow. On Acast, where you can stream and subscribe. On Amazon Music, where I guess now that we're opening back up, we might need to use Prime a little bit less, but it doesn't mean you can't get your podcast there still. Um, and indeed, on the Twitter page itself, where every Friday a new episode will go up with the Acast link embedded into a tweet. You can stream it through there, or you can subscribe through Acast. All of those, or at least any of those, allow you to. We'd love you to leave us a five-star review. We will be bringing back our talk of fame specifically for the five-star reviews for season six, the sixth and final season of Bojack Horseman. So if you want a chance of getting a start on all of your talk of fame, um, get those reviews in now. I promise you that if you leave us one and it goes past that last episode, we will make sure to round up all of those five-star reviews. Promise you, if you leave that five-star review, you will get your star. So get them in now. Um, but... We have been giving them out for quote tweets for this specific season. So we've got our very last quote tweet on the uh, Hollywood Talk of Fame. And it comes from a regular contributor to the Hall of Fame, Michael Kohler. Thank you very much, Michael, for getting in touch. Um, big fan of your music takes and your television takes, including, of course, Bojack Horseman. And I guess your podcast takes because you like us. Uh, he quoted uh, last week's episode 11 saying, Call them the front of the plane because they are all business. It's Adam Nicholas and Michael Amplett do a wonderful job of outlining and analysing this incredible and very difficult episode to watch. Excellent job, guys. Thank you very much, Michael. Excellent tweet, friend. Um, a star on Hollywood Talk of Fame will be winging its way out to you very, very soon through all the usual social channels. And yes. I guess that's our wrap on this season. We should probably talk about next week, shouldn't we, as a bit of a reminder for anybody that forgets what we do at this point. We probably should, yes. And thank you, of course, Michael, for those. Um, not you. I'll give you enough thanks, Michael Hamflet. <laughs> thank you, Michael Kohler, for your uh, review there, of course. Always a pleasure hearing from you, sir. And we enjoy your... Can we say we enjoy your company? I guess we can. Social media is basically company these days. You don't get to go outside anymore. <laughs> 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 you die, you die, that's not true. But yes, of course, we've finished the season now, which means not only does this... this it's the show. Get yourself the show that does both, guys, is what yeah. we're saying. Why would you just do the review of the episode, but you can also do an entire season review and a recap at the end of each season, because I know some people like to listen to this differently. We, of course, encourage you to do it across all of them, so you get each episode by episode and then the season recap. But this one, it's always a bit looser if, it, if you're new to the podcast, uh, but the season recap, we tend to just go through kind of from start to finish for each character's arc, where the, what's happened with them in this season so far from the start to finish, compare and contrast, where did they start, where did they end up, 
and where will they potentially be going after that? Of course, no spoilers, as always. Um, so there won't be any synopsis on this week's episode for next the next episode of Bojack Horseman, which will, of course, be Season 6, Episode 1. That'll be coming next week. But next week, we will be doing our season recap, if I haven't mentioned that a thousand times already. And Mike, <laughs> as always, we will be taking the floor for questions, yes? Absolutely, yeah. We'll get them um, after the episode has dropped on the App Podcast Horseman Twitter account on Friday. We will get a tweet out. We encourage you to leave any questions, comments, remarks, anything season six related. Um, sorry, season five related. Definitely not season six. We've got this far. Um, season five related. Uh, anything that, as sort of Nicholas mentioned earlier on, that you think we might have missed from the season that's worth sort of mentioning. We'll go through some of our favourite horse and rounds from the series as well. So any that you want specific mention, really any kind of season five related pattern. Drop it in as a reply in the thread that we'll put out. Um, we'll put when we're going to be recording in that tweet as well. So you'll have like a, a window of time to get your comments in in time to get spoken out. We do try and read all of them out on the recap as well. So feel free to indulge us in whatever you've got on uh, Bojack Horseman Season 5 and we'll look to feature in the recap next week. Yes, please do. We love the questions. Question time. We love the question time from talking to you guys. We started this podcast, as we continually will tell you, we started it because we realised not enough people are talking about Bojack Horseman, and mm. we would like to change that. So we like as many people as possible talking themselves horse about a talking horse. So please, if you have any questions, send them in. Also, while I'm on the topic of questions and uh, Twitter and people talking about Bojack Horseman, if you haven't seen it already, uh, a little fun thing for you that you might have noticed happened. For anybody who follows Raphael Bob Waxberg on Twitter, you will have seen that he was just randomly the other day decided he would answer some questions regarding jokes in the show. And there's a massive thread on his Twitter account where people have asked some questions, some good questions, some interestingly <laughs> not good questions, I would say. Like, I feel like some people wanted a lot explained that kind of explained itself at times, mm. but never mind. Yeah. I guess it's, good it's easy, for me, easy for me to say that, Michael. I sit here and have to do this every goddamn week. <laughs> but yes, go and have a look at this thread. It's fantastic. You will enjoy it. If you love the show and you love Raphael Bob-Waxberg's work, trust me, it's worth your time just to go through there and hear what he has to say on a bunch of things. But, as Michael said, questions for next week's episode, great. Um, check that thread out. And yes, don't come in expecting episode six, no, season six, episode one. It will be the recap of season five next week. Is that everything? That's everything, isn't we're it? We're good. I think we're good. Okay. I think we're all right. Okay. Well, with that said, then, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.